Rogers, who the only place he's going to take it to is the toilet bowl. And then you got Brett Favre, who will take it to the Super Bowl. I do like me a triple butter burger with cheese in the works, you know, ketchup, mustard, pickles. Could the package be really good? Yeah, I, I certainly would love that. But also, to say that, is this look like a rebuild? Probably. If you think we're in a rebuild, then you got the wrong team. QB1, man. Come on, man. Best Come QB on. in the league right What's here. What's up, man? John Money? What's up, guys? This is Jeff Janis. And Janis does not stop it. Oh, please. What a cat. That's insane. You're listening to the Poor Man's Packers Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Poor Man's Packers Podcast, the Roman Packers Podcast in the state of our minds. I am Spencer, joined this week with Billy and Todd. Boys. Hello, hello. Greetings, gentlemen. And the Green Bay Packers... I, I don't know what to say at this point. Winning 48-32 to in Dallas against the Dallas Cowboys, who usually play there, the Mike McCarthy, for now, Dallas Cowboys. And I I feel like a fucking kid again. This whole season has just been miraculous. It's Sunday. I didn't even get nervous because it didn't even get to that point. You know, you get those little jitters at kickoff, but at no point – during the beginning of that game, or at any point really, did it not until maybe the fourth quarter did I start to feel my blood pressure at all again? But all the outcomes that the season could have been, once again, could not imagine that we would be at this point. You know, since beating the Bears, it's like I feel like I'm just walking around and there's just a slight smile on my face at all times when usually any other time of the year it's like I'm a, I'm a frowny face boy. But now mm-hmm. it's just... This year was supposed to be a rebuild, a nothing. And I'm so excited because right now our brains are excited about this year's team. But this is a bonus. I'm just excited. The more this goes on, the more it's like I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, like beyond Super Bowl. I'm like, if if we keep What is this, beyond the Super Bowl? I'm like multiple Super Bowls. Like with I've been we've been saying we've been talking about this fucking young core forever, and now it's like they're learning how to actually play football where I'm elated. And it's it's back to like back in twenty ten when I was eighteen years old and I didn't even stress during that Super Bowl run. And now it's like, you know, the last four or five years when we're going on all these playoff runs. We talked about it last week. We've talked about it multiple times. How you just get anxious and stressed because you don't want to lose because you're expected to win. And now it's just, we shouldn't be here. And I feel like the matchups aren't terrible because we're not expected to win. And that makes me feel like, like if we win on Sunday, I think we're going to win the Super Bowl. And that's fucking stupid. So are you guys in the same dumb fan brain, you know, manipulating well, your brain or where are you at some of us on the pod have been talking about this team being a super bowl team for a week one week maybe more <laughs> we don't we're not we'd have to go back and listen i 100 percent agree this team is super bowl bound nobody can stop us not even san francisco no way we're gonna walk all over them brock purdy is gonna be crying at the end of the game it's gonna be a miracle right we're gonna love it um the team's super fun. You talk about multiple Super Bowls. I have not thought that far ahead. <laughs> My dumb brain. I have coach brain. I have Matt LaFleur brain. Mm. I'm like, we can only look at... He's not even looking at the Super Bowl. He's looking at this week. I'm looking at the Super Bowl because I know we'll be there. But 
in general, I haven't thought that far ahead. It's like you this offense could be prolific. Like for for multiple years. Like this could be, you know, remember when Denver had the offense and it was like, "Oh my god, like there's n- nobody will ever beat this." Eventually people catch up, but like that's what I feel like this offense could be is like that that many steps ahead in the future. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's wild to think of these guys in year three and four, right? These receivers and tight ends in year three and four. I mean, it could be amazing. And this, you know, this is nothing. Obviously, we're at a high point right now, but I saw someone post this too. This was the first time all season where we had all our preferred starters, you know, skill position players on offense. You know, obviously, got to take into account AJ Dillon not being there, which is a huge, huge preferred, yes, loss for us. But that's another thing too. It's like this was the first time we had forty. What was it? Forty-eight points, the most points we scored all year too. Nuts. I came out of the game just, I mean, absolutely stunned. I wasn't stunned that we won. I was stunned by the manner in which we won the game. And Spencer, I'm with you. Like looking ahead, you know, you start to get ahead of yourself a little bit. Like if we beat Dallas on the road. And, you know, we go play San Francisco. If we come out of that game, like, is there anybody else, you know, still in the playoffs that scares you? Not really. But that's getting way ahead of ourselves. But then, to your point, I get even further ahead, and it's like, this offense is so young. Like, we have Jordan Love still on his first contract. We're going to have to talk about an extension with him soon. But we've got how many receivers that are under team control for at least two more years, if not three, or potentially four, if we pick up a fifth-year option or something. Um, Offensive line is still young. Um, You know, running back, some questions there. But it's like that offense, it feels like it's stacked for the next three to four years easily. And that's ignoring the defense that – We've been saying it all along, has so many good pieces on it. It's just a matter of finding a coordinator who can put it all together. But again, that's getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's just enjoy Dallas and look ahead to San Francisco. Let's just win the Super Bowl. Let's see what happens. Let's just simply win the Super Bowl. And what's fun about this too, and it's just like happening naturally, that makes me think, I mean, I... There are times where I wonder if this is actually my life, like over the last week, where I'm like, how are we, how has this team turned around? And I know, like, I wasn't all in on Jordan Love before seeing him play, just because there was just so many question marks and there was just negative things really being talked about. And now you look at it, and I don't know, and I don't know fucking anything, but has there ever been a player that is improved has there ever been a quarterback let's just talk quarterbacks who's improved as much as jordan love has in season half halfway through the year he wasn't Maybe. good he was one of, he had the worst completion percentage in the league he had 10 picks and now he's legitimately like the most efficient game breaking quarterback over the last 8 games or whatever it's been it's it's absolutely fucking bonkers and it's unreal that the green bay packers have somehow seemingly done it again at the quarterback position he's like even just changed the narrative on him too like think back to the beginning of the season I don't know that any of us were all that confident in him what percentage of Packers fans do you think were confident in him at the beginning of the year I mean there was a lot of stands there was a lot of Jordan Love stands that I think through their hatred of Aaron Rodgers yes supported him more than anything I, I mean yeah I supported the guy too but 
it was just, there wasn't any, you know, actual evidence that he was going to be yes, the guy, yes. right? Like the opinion of Fair. him being the guy, not, not very many. It was a whole bunch of question marks. And even after week six or seven, whatever it was, when we lost to Pittsburgh, like think about how far down on just the team in general, but also love. But now like everybody's singing his praises. Like everybody is convinced he's the guy we got to extend him. The national media is, you know, praising Goot for what a brilliant draft mm-hmm. pick three years ago. Like the, it's a complete 180. Yeah. And it, and again, back to like the dream shit too. It's like the memories are popping up. I mean, everyone, when Darnell Savage returned that interception for a touchdown, they were like, oh, my God, that's Tremont Williams, or oh, my God, that's Nick Collins, who returned it in pretty much that same spot in the same stadium in the Super Bowl. And then we have, like, Luke Musgrave wide open for his touchdown, which reminds me of Favre's first playoff game, hitting a wide open Sterling Sharp for a go-ahead touchdown late in the fourth. Now, obviously, it wasn't a close game, but it's the same, like, you know, that, that was talked about how, Sterling Sharp was saying how tough that catch was because he was so open and had to think about it. And Musgrave, it was the same damn thing. It's just, and then obviously Jordan Love looking like Favre and Rodgers, which is very tiring as if they're the only quarterbacks who have ever thrown, you know, without setting their feet. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm so happy. Couldn't be more happy. And I'm looking at the future here too. The way this is setting up with the narratives, if say we win on Sunday, who, who knows? But it's looking like we have, a ghost of Christmas past in the Cowboys, Mike McCarthy, a ghost of Christmas present, which would be the 49ers, the best team in the league and someone who's had our number, and then ghost of Christmas in the future being the Detroit Lions who have obviously rallied of late and, you know, they their first playoff win in, that's what's, fuck, what is it, 32 years? Those are their first playoff win 32 in 32 years. And what, the season after that, their previous win was when we beat them in the playoffs, which I'm talking about with that Sterling Sharp play. So, I don't know. Just fucking, I'm I'm so happy. I love being a Packer fan. Blah, blah, blah. Do you ever, blah. like, get giddy when you're like, we had Brett Favre, and then we had Aaron Rodgers, and then in, like, week six, we were like, mm, we didn't get another one. But then Juke, we got another one, and he looks, like, if he plays like this duplicate uh, year after year and he's consistent with it i mean like man shoe in hall of famer if he you're saying if he has a near perfect passer rating every game well, for the rest of his career yeah absolutely well something else too i think wildy brought this up right now right now and i think you could probably say definitively obviously he needs to finish his career but jordan love's going to be in like the packers hall of fame you know it, something terribly wrong would have to happen like, he's already probably the fourth best quarterback, or he's going to be, at least in Packers history, behind Star Favre. Like, I think he's better than fucking whatever Don Mikowski ever did, what Lynn Dickey did. There isn't a lot that you have let's, to be better than. Let's slow this down a little bit. Remember, Carson Wentz was also an MVP oh, candidate wow. in Philadelphia and got hurt. Like, there's a lot that but can happen. But he's the inverse Carson Wentz. And that, was, and that was just like half a year with him. He already sucked. Yeah, he, he already sucked, but whatever. He's done sucking. Let's let's just get into it. Opening thoughts, offense, Jordan Love, 16-21, 272 yards, the three touchdowns. Didn't get sacked. You know, he got sacked, but it came back on uh, that first drive. Obviously, everyone knows he almost had that perfect pass rating, and it came back after the one throw to Kraft. But, my God, it's just, he's the best. I just, it, it, 
we had a blip, and we've said it so many, we had a blip of not wondering, you know, wondering if we're going to have a great quarterback. But now it's just the wild plays that we weren't getting before are just coming normally in every single game. Like the early on, like the the first Dobbs throw, he just sits in the pocket and rips it as he's getting hit. Uh, the the third down play where he's like, and we were watching it live where it's like, oh shit, it's like third and six. And we see Wicks get bumped off the line and he's not going to be open. And then he just fucking fires it in to Tucker Craft running to the left and having to flip his hips over. Just fucking awesome. And the best, the play for me. So there's been what always gave me hope and why I didn't give up on Jordan Love, but, uh, you know, had the negative thoughts in October was that Falcons game when we lost that fourth quarter, that last throw of the game where he threw it to Samari Ture on like fourth and 15 and just ripped it over the middle in the smallest window and Samari Ture couldn't hold on to the ball. He dropped it, yep. But I was like, holy, how did he do that? And since then, it's like we're getting more and more of those every week. This week, the big one was that Dontavian Wicks touchdown, which that one play shows you everything that you need from the quarterback position. Where one, the play clock's running, running down. It's already running down. He's already in a pressure situation. And it's, what, third and seven? Yeah, third and seven or something. He hard counts, gets the defensive move. He sees who's coming, moves his protection around, takes the snap. Freeman's coming after he beats Sean Ryan. And Love does like that little half pump, gets the defenseman to jump up in the air, and then throws it again flat-footed right to Dontavian Wicks. And it's like... Holy shit. Like that was that was the wow of all the wow plays in this game that I'm like no notes. No notes. Just keep doing what you're fucking doing. How about the one to Dobbs as he's yes. Dobbs is moving slightly left. There's a defender between them. Love is moving right and he's pressured and he just rips a dart in there. Like the Wicks one obviously super impressive, but for me that was the most impressive throw of the day where it's like you're like oh, I didn't I didn't even, and, that wasn't open. And I know that, you know, peop, that you in particular, Spencer, you just said it, you hate the the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers comparison. That throw reminded me of Brett Favre. Like how many touchdown passes did Brett Favre just laser into the end zone to the guy between like two defenders that are converging in opposite directions? Like that, that was one of those throws. It's like and my I'm, arm is bigger. Like I can throw <laughs> it faster than they can react to it. Like that's what it is. And yeah. live... I, I said audibly, wow, there, there's not a lot of throws. I mean, after watching Aaron Rodgers for so long, like it's almost like we just got used to it and we got spoiled, and I think we did. And now you're starting to kind of realize just how difficult some of these throws are. It is fun watching the way, like, the way Love throws a heater versus the way Rodgers threw a heater. Like, I, I always thought Rodgers threw, like, the, like, literally one of the prettiest balls ever, and it was just like, the touch was amazing and like it was always where it was supposed to be. But like when Love is throwing a fastball, it is like it's more Roger or it's more Brett Favre esque where it's like there's just it's on a rope. And like Rogers he had a huge arm. I'm not saying he didn't, but like the way he threw the ball was just different. He threw I it with do... a lot of anticipation, I feel like. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't always like when Love throws a fastball, it is it's coming. Like that thing's on fire. Well, that, and that was kind of the thing, too, that got me a little bit more optimistic this offseason. Maybe it was last year, too, but his release has changed. When you go back and watch him as a second-year player, because we never saw him throw a ball his rookie year, 
it was kind of elongated, and he ha- he still has a bit of that weird throwing motion, not Philip Rivers esque, but you know, and he's shortened it, and that's been one of the, you know the that Dobbs touchdown where he just fucking fired it in between like three dudes, just flat footed or whatever, like five yards away, just fucking nuts. Um, eh, I was gonna play clip here. Yeah, we'll play. It. So I want to play this clip here too. This is from Albert Breer, the Monday Morning Quarterback guy. Now I don't think it's Peter King anymore, and just. So people can like, you know, we're in our own little bubble. We've been watching, uh, I almost said Rogers, love the second half of the year and starting to get more and more excited. This is a take from the national media on what love, <laughs> the feelings on love. And then there was that touchdown pass to M- Luke Musgrave later in the game, right? Remember that one, Rich? Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he's wide open? Yeah. Did that look a lot like a play that they ran in week one? Remember where Musgrave kind of tripped over himself and didn't quite make it into the end zone? Mm-hmm. Okay. He was wide open. They hadn't run that play since week one. That was the last time they had it called the play before and Jordan didn't like the look. He checked out of it. And the result was a 27 yard run by Aaron Jones. Then LaFleur gives him a look. Jordan basically says to him, bring it again. And they bring it again and it's wide open. So I tell these stories because it's just like an awesome feel for the game for a kid who like was seen as so raw coming out, you know, and had such a long way to go and he needs to sit. I mean, one thing, another thing Matt said to me was like, you know, he went back to his notes before the draft and he's just like one of the notes in there was like, this just seems like a really good dude. And um, I think that's reflected in the way that everyone in that building and on top of that, Aaron Rodgers are so actively rooting for the kid. Like just that clip there too, you know, in however long that is a minute or two. He's talking about how the command of the offense that LaFleur 1 is giving him now to switch out of a play, and it's successful. 27 yards was the run before the Luke Musgrave play. They run that, and then on top of that, the good vibes with one, of course. <laughs> what what would Matt write down if he's talking to someone for the first time? Oh, this is this is a good guy. This is a great person. You know, that's what he wrote about. That's true. Jordan he Lobby. would he would write whether, that down. <laughs> whether it's a player or whether it's a coach, you know, he's gonna he's gonna value that. Joe Barry, nice guy. But the fact that the vibes are so much better than they seemingly were last year and everyone loves them, it's just things could not be better. So I just wanted to touch on that before we keep moving on here. But uh, oh, one Let, other... Let's not forget, too, that love on that play showed an understanding of what the defense is doing and getting them to show their hand. And then for him to understand the offense enough or you know thoroughly enough to check into that run and then... You know, for LaFleur to give him the look like, yeah, go run that other play. Yes, that's the other thing, too. It's almost back to, like, when Devontae and Rodgers and all of them were just, you know, that synergy that they had going on. So that was awesome to see. The other thing I wanted to mention before we move on, uh, did you guys see what Love did at the very end of the game for the uh, the kneel down snap? He uh he did the deck. Uh, so. He said, "Here we go. Oh, here we got, go." Got the snap and kneeled it. So that was just the perfect cherry on top of everything. Because we were that shit does get annoying quick, and I can't imagine those offensive linemen really love the uh, that cadence when you're. I down hate 30 the here we points. go. It yeah. is so dumb. Uh, pass catchers, everything. We're so blessed. We're so blessed, guys. Romeo Dubs. Six receptions, 151 yards, the one touchdown. Right when we're, like, souring on Romeo Dobbs a little bit. I know he got banged up last week, but holy fucking shit. The Romeo Dobbs game, he never had a 100-yard game before this, and he goes for 150. The third most yards for a receiver in a playoff game. 
I mean, just fucking awesome. Back to having the strong hands again. These were all his catches. The second and long, the first drive, Dobbs first down. Third and nine, Dobbs first down. First and goal from the 15, he gets us to the three, and then Jones scores the next play. First down, Jones and Love mess up the little uh, play action that they're doing. Dobbs is still wide open, you know, huge pickup. Last catch was a touchdown. It's just fucking awesome. He Once we're souring on one guy, it's like they pop up again. So I'm sure, like, Jaden Reed, after not doing anything this week, will have a huge one. Next week, the only negative I'd say on Dobbs, which we talked about because we did watch the game together, would be his hair. He had the two braids or whatever going back on each side. Did not like that look. It was a little too... Like, uh, I don't know, Hansel and Gretel or something, some old... It seems very Lord of the Rings to me. Yes, that's that's a much better reference. Yeah, maybe he's an elf. <laughs> maybe Did he's an Dallas elf. even cover Romeo Dobbs that entire game? Like, you know, we, we still bring up the joke about Eric Walden looking for Colin Kaepernick and the, the quarterback read. Mm-hmm. I think Dallas, I mean, was never even looking for the guy. They just didn't prepare for him. He was running he wide was jogging in the middle of the field. every single play. It's he's like jogging. Like they, he's just wide open. They'd throw it deep to him, and it's like he would just pop up. He would just fly in the air a couple feet and come down right. with the ball. That's what just kept happening for every. You know, every I target. kept I kept kind of holding my breath when you you know see Love taking this big shot downfield, and it's like oh gosh, and it's like oh there's nobody within ten yards of Romeo Dobbs, wide open, easy pitch and catch on you know third and fifteen for twenty seven yards, perfect. Okay. You know what this receiver core kind of feels like to me? And this is when Best the Patriots were really hot. Ooh, that. <laughs> never, but never brought that up. In the in the idea of like, hey, a guy seems like he's disappearing, and then all of a sudden he's he's back. What he has a huge game. To me, it feels like a little bit of like when the Patriots were hot, like the Patriots running backs. Oh. It's like James White, not a carry all year, mm-hmm. and then the Super Bowl. It's like all of a sudden he's. It's like guys at any time can step up, which I think is like probably says a lot about their preparation granted these are all rookies but like they're it just feels like anybody can step up at any time and that just reminds me of like patriots running back running backs like you never know who's getting the ball they're the worst fantasy running backs you never know who's going to get the ball they the third stringer could go off for 160 yards anytime so you're you're talking about fantasy too so i i'm sure everyone will love love this uh in a dynasty league i own romeo dobbs I, so you keep your players, you know, forever in Dynasty League. So I traded him away along with some running back for the Ravens, Hill, something Hill. He's not very good, whatever. He had a couple of decent games for this year. And I got Dontavian Wicks for Dobbs. And I'm like, <laughs> I, think I, fuck, I think I fucking robbed the guy, but whatever. Either way, it, but you're right because it is going to turn into that with running backs where it's like, okay, who's going to have their week as, you know, the year goes on, you know, we'll we'll see uh, what happens on our Super Bowl run. Uh, Wicks, mention him there, beautiful touchdown. I don't think there's a ton to add with him in this game. Christian Watson, back, only the one catch for nine yards, but, you know, he made a impact. Obviously, a lot of people probably seen on Twitter just the type of coverage he gets that he demands, it seems like. The Luke Musgrave play, his touchdown, there was like three people following Christian Watson, and it's... Kind of reminds me of the struggles we had in 2021 against the Niners when, although MBS isn't a great receiver, I think we really missed his speed that day at yeah. Lambeau. So to get Watson out there and once again having all the preferred starters out there on offense was a huge, huge help. It's got to change everything so much for the defense, having a guy like Christian Watson that like 
in at any time can burn you down the field and it stretches takes the top right off the defense right that's got to be a big reason why romeo dubs is just walking open in the middle of the field half the time right they're worried about that deep threat so having him back i think granted the one catch but like just his presence is huge well, like you said, you know, this offense, just remember, is a couple of years removed from having Devontae Adams commanding, you know, 15 targets in a game. And when we're only throwing it 25, 30 times, you know, that's a huge portion of the targets that are going to him. But you look at this game, like, who's Dallas supposed to plan for? I mean, that's Romeo exactly, Dobbs yeah. had six targets. Next most targets on the team, three, Musgrave, Tucker Craft, and Jaden Reed. So just the number of guys, and we've already talked about it, the number of guys that are stepping up and have stepped up, like, what are you supposed to plan for? Who are you supposed to game plan against and try and take away? You can't. And, you know, talking about taking guys away, Jaden Reed, you know, no targets he put out that, or no catches he put out that tweet, uh, sorry about your parlays, but whatever, got the fucking (laughs) win. That was pretty cool. But like you're talking about there too, you know, Christian Watson, Bo Melton, Jaden Reed, Malik Heath combined for two catches, 16 yards. You know, well, Heath wasn't even active on that, Sunday. I know. That's what I'm saying. So he, he didn't even suit up. And he's a guy who is... Well, then throw A.J. Nice... Dillon in there, too, because he also didn't have a catch on Sunday. Sure. Whatever. But I'm saying, like, he's the fifth receiver who is a starting receiver in the... Like, he, he would be at least you know, a fourth receiver probably on mo- most teams. But the fact that he's a healthy scratch, and Matt said it was tough for him to do that because, I mean, if we've seen Malik Heath on the field too and how much he appreciates ball. But that the fact that we can put up 48 points and have those guys have very little impact or, you know, those numbers on the stat sheet, incredible. Um, tight ends, Luke Musgrave. You know, Musgrave, he stayed on his feet. Pretty funny how we, especially because like we've been talking about that since fucking. I thought it was camp, hilarious, and it's always been a thing. Yeah, it, and just the way the camera cuts to like the entire locker room, and they all put their arms up. It almost looked again. It's back to like this is a dream where that didn't seem real. That seemed like something out of the office or some shit. Like they're all celebrating him not falling, not on falling. <laughs> but yeah, finished with a three receptions, fifty-two yards. He also sneaky had a really nice grab. It was like third. It was third and four. We were going from left to right on the far sideline, and Love throws it, and I'm like, that looks high. And Musgrave high-pointed it, got both his feet down. Huge. Kept the chains running after that. Um, And then Tucker Craft, I mean, he he almost, if Christian Watson could have held his block a little bit on one of the first drives, he would have had a touchdown on that screen. And then I was pissed. You know, I think everyone was a little bit pissed because – he dropped that last pass from Jordan Love. Looking back, it wasn't the the best ball, but he did drop it. If he would have caught that, Love would have kept his perfect pass rating. And with my par- one of my parlays, I would have won two hundred bucks because we're, we're watching the game together and the ball is in the air to Tucker Craft, and I'm like running. I'm like, oh, there it is, and then he fucking dropped it. And it was he like, just oh. drops it. But I don't know it. You, I like betting for those moments, even though I lost. It's like, oh, shit, I lost 15 bucks, but it was really fun to pay attention to some stupid shit going on in the game. But anything to add on the tight ends? I mean, we've talked a lot about the passing game thus far, so I don't know if, yeah, I'm getting some head nods. I think the screen game, it would be fun to watch Tucker Craft get one of those screens and actually use his blocks instead of just run into the first guy in front of him. Yeah. If I can be critical about one thing. No, you are right. Which we're not, I mean... We don't have much to be critical about, but it was like he had three blockers to his right, and he just like whatever that linebacker was in front of him. He was like, "Ah, that's where I'm going." 
Do you have it in front of you, Spencer, what the snap breakdown was by I do not. tight ends? Nope. I. It seemed like DeGuara got some run in like the blocking get some. game. More than you'd think. He did pretty well against... There's one uh, highlight of him blocking on... Uh, Parsons. He got Parsons, Parsons on yeah, the yeah. Aaron Jones touchdown. That's which, why I brought it up. I was curious. Which is probably after... Aaron, so we'll we'll just move on to running backs. Aaron Jones, Patrick Taylor, Manuel Wilson, once again, God, we... God, that A.J. Dillon, we're really missing him. Fourth straight 100-yard game, along with his fourth straight game with 20 carries for Aaron Jones. And, I mean, God, it really is. Every play is either nothing, three yards, eight yards, or just, like, a nice chunk play. I, it's just – there's too many superlatives that we could use to describe Aaron Jones. Back in Dallas, once again, I mean, he has how many fucking touchdowns in that stadium at this point? Um God. And then it's nice to see him on the goal line, too, getting those touches. There were some times during the year that we struggled in the red zone. You know, we were in the goal-to-go situations. We have been better. But I feel like there's been times where you just keep giving it to Dylan and it doesn't work out. But to actually see him do that is nice. One of the touchdowns he threw to his brother, who was in attendance. And as we talked about, he had that one pass block on uh, Michael Parsons. And it seems like, you know, everyone's talking about Zach Tom and how well he did. It seems like Parsons after that was playing banged up with a fucked up rib almost. And that was probably that's that's what makes sense to me how Josiah DeGuara was able to block Michael Parsons later in the game. But I don't know what you guys have on that. I think in general like you talk a little bit about and kind of tie this in with the offensive line, but it was like occasionally the line, the offensive line would just get completely disrupted. And when that wasn't happening, Aaron Jones was ripping. So mm-hmm. as long as they could keep, as long as they could keep that that front four stymied for just a few seconds, Aaron Jones was hitting the hole hard. But like, there that defensive line was no joke. Like they're pretty freaking good. And there was a couple different times, especially I think in that first drive, it happened like two or three times where right. it was like, man, I this is this might be a long game just because like the way that I remember Aaron Jones ran into Rashid. Uh, yes. Walker and yeah. and he he got thrown so far inside. Mm-hmm. I remember Spencer. I think you said like you're like who was 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 he at right tackle? Yes, that's what I asked. He was so far over because it was and like the camera angle helped that a little bit. Yeah. But it was like there was sometimes where like that 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 defensive line was tough. So I mean, in general, I think and I watched some videos too of you know all the the offensive line guys breaking it down on Twitter and stuff. In general, the offensive line was great, and when it was good. Aaron Jones was great, right? Like as long as they can get him to the hole, he thrives, right? It's just if there's disruption in the backfield, that's tough for anybody. Well, and I think that's the beauty of having a guy like Aaron Jones in there. You know, it was a little bit of a slow start, but there we saw enough on that first drive with the ground game, you know, where sure he might have lost a, a yard or two here. He might have just gotten back to the line of scrimmage, but as we started to get into Dallas territory, we would see those flashes like, oh, there's a there's a gain of four, kind of pushing the pile. There's a gain of six. Like it gives you with a guy like Aaron Jones enough confidence when the offensive line isn't blocking their best to keep going to the ground game and can and keep pounding them because by the fourth quarter, that Dallas defense was gassed. They had no shot to stop Aaron Jones in that fourth quarter. But you think about a guy like AJ Dillon, you know, just doesn't have that that ability to hit those holes and gain those positive yardage when it's maybe not as cleanly blocked. And 
I mean, the game situation helped us continue to go back to the ground game because we were winning, but I don't know if we run the ball as much if A.J. Dillon is in there or, you know, if Aaron Jones gets banged up and we're at Emmanuel Wilson or Patrick Taylor because both of those guys had a handful of carries themselves and neither were very effective. Yeah, Wilson finished with eight carries, 20 yards, at 2.5 average, which is pretty bad. But if you if you look at the stats, the previous two games that A.J. Dillon played in, he had the same average, so it's actually not that bad for a number two running back to do that for you, you know, if, if that's the way we're going to grade things. But yeah, um, and Emmanuel Wilson, too. He had a couple decent runs, but more than anything, um, I was surprised how much he played. I really assumed Patrick same. Taylor just had that spot, you know, tied down because he's been the, he's always been the pass-blocking guy. Anytime it's a clear passing situation, it's been him out there. So that was a little surprising to see Emmanuel Wilson, a rookie who hasn't played much this year to get those snaps in a playoff game. And that was still when the game was a game, I guess. And he was this his first game active since his injury? I I think he might have been active the previous week but didn't get any snaps. I think that's what happened. Uh, moving on to the offensive line. Again, not a ton to talk about. Uh, Walker, Elton, Josh Myers, run, you know you know the whole gang. Everyone got involved. Uh, again, Rasheed Walker, another great game. I mean, the group in total, no sacks allowed. Zach Tom still. Just, Which is, can we, that's wild. Yeah. No sacks allowed for how aggressive they were up front too. Well, we got saved by that uh, defensive holding or whatever that first series. Oh. You, you wonder how different the whole game is if they didn't have that penalty and we get sacked. It wasn't a huge loss. I think we only lost two. Love it scrambling around. But either way, no sacks allowed. Zach Tom, sneaky, one of the like most more underrated tackles in the league it seems like and again I wonder what we're going to do because where we're going to be drafted now it, we're probably not going to take an offensive tackle especially with how Rashid's been playing the second half of the year there's no real point so I don't know we'll we'll see Sean Ryan had some snaps he's like I said earlier he was the guy who couldn't hold his block on the Wicks touchdown so his pass blocking is still you know he's got to work on that a bit but anything else on offense before we move on here I mean we've I wasn't I didn't pay super close attention so Nyman was in and uh Sean Ryan both got snaps and is it kind of a 50-50 now what we're looking at with Ryan and Runyon It's been 50-50 with them for the last month yeah. yeah, and it's I, pretty I, interesting to see a guard swap like that in the playoffs. Still, you kind of thought it's it would wild. stop. I didn't look. I should have looked at the snap counts to see how it came out. But when I rewatched the game, a lot of times when I looked up, I saw Sean Ryan out there. So I can only assume it was close to fifty fifty. I will say when they run to that side of the Ryan and Zach Tom, if they run to the right side, you do see chunk plays. It seems like. I mean, granted, it doesn't seem like Sean Ryan is the greatest pass blocker in the world. Um, but in the run game, it does seem like those big chunk plays in the run game for Aaron Jones seem to be on that right side when Sean Ryan is in. Yeah. This is just an observation that I had, but it seemed cool. like Jordan Love was under a fair amount of heat, and Todd, you kind of alluded to it. Like It seemed like they were bringing the pressure, but was not sacked, and on his 21 official dropbacks that counted, he apparently, per pro football focus or something was only pressured four times, which I don't know what wow. you count as a pressure. Cause it seemed like all of those wide open deep shots to Dobbs, mm -hmm. he was evading somebody in the backfield, but I was a little surprised by that. I wonder how accurate that, uh, 
that number is, or maybe that's just analytics making up uh, stats. What if it's again. a proximity thing? Like right. Maybe they're not close it, enough it, to And him. maybe, you know, Jordan Love evades this guy and all of a sudden, you know, buys enough time that he's not getting hit. But he took some big shots right after releasing yeah. the ball. I wouldn't be surprised if we had as if we were pressured as many times as we had like QB hits because yeah he got hit a couple times mm-hmm. on those Dobbs throws that you're talking about. Uh, but with that, we'll have a quick commercial break, and we are back with the defense. The defense, I mean, more good than bad. He can't be too pissed. That... Tale of two defenses. Yeah, the, I, I suppose up until the fourth quarter defense. And then there's the fourth quarter defense. Yeah, uh, I do wonder, too, like that first drive we talked about, C.D. Lamb had that drop. Uh, could have been a different game, maybe. He had a couple of drops in that game. Mm-hmm. He was getting frustrated. It was kind of nice to see like the number one receiver and Dak like not uh, be, you know, getting along too well. But yeah, and I don't know, the, it, just rewatching the game, too, and something I'm just not used to. And I said it a couple of weeks, you know, I got on new Billy because I, I mean, I still think we probably should have fired Joe Barry, whatever. But, God, they're rallying to the ball. They really are swarming, which you're not used to. And I'm sure, you know, playoff football, too, and playing with the lead, like they're a lot more pumped up, too. But, God, even on, like, that reverse in the second quarter, at first I'm like, oh, fuck, this looks like it's going to be a big gain. But, nope, they, I mean, they picked up five yards, but they had three dudes that hurried to the ball and got them. So that was really cool to, cool to see. But either way, the defense in general, I don't know what to think anymore. And we'll talk about Joe Barry again, of course, and take news like we always seem to. But... Front seven, starting with Preston Smith. I mean, another pretty solid game from him. Batted a ball on third down to force the field goal attempt, which was pretty big. Watching him on the last series was fucking hilarious because he was drained. The the belly's gas. The belly punch was taking all of his energy because he and it was hilarious because he got a sack and then the very next play, the last play the the Cowboys had on offense. He is walking, not even jogging. He is walking, and then, like, Dak steps him in the pocket, and Preston's like, okay, I guess I'll jog a little bit closer to you. And it was very funny to see a professional football player play like that, but I don't know. I was – either way, you can't you can't complain with what, uh, what the team did on Sunday. Rashawn Gary, he had half a sack against the Chiefs, and that's the last time he's had a sack. So, again, it's – I don't want to say he's been underperforming because you, you watch him and you can tell he's still very active. He's always super fucking choppy with his feet, mm-hmm. which I've always talked about. But I don't know. I don't want to say I'm worried about him, but especially now coming off the ACL and losing JJ and Igbari with the torn ACL, which is quite the bummer. I really it, like if Rashawn Gary can come alive, which yes. we haven't seen Rashawn Gary as Rashawn Gary lately. You know, he's one of the you know top paid defensive players in the league now. If we can get that next week, it's like then once again, it's almost like the Zadarius contract in that Viking game in 2019 when we sealed up the division. It's like, okay, whatever else you do, you are worth your deal just for that three sack game when we needed you to tie up the division. So hopefully we'll see that from Gary, but I don't know. What what are you thinking, Todd? Uh, I mean, in general, like talking about the game, I think that this wound up being a really good matchup for us in the fact that Dallas didn't want to dink and dunk. They wanted big chunks, and it, it it really worked out that they were not able to connect on, like, anything mid-range, you know, for that entire first three quarters, which yeah. was awesome. And the fact that, like, I feel like that's where we get ripped up is, like, the dink and dunk teams that'll take their five every time. And, like, Dallas was not interested in that 
they wanted CD. They wanted. I mean, Pollard was getting his five every time. It was but like, the Ferguson show. Like that is it the was. guy who we couldn't slow down. Yes, which is if that's the guy. Like if you're gonna leave a guy to beat you, I mean, like yeah. that's probably the guy on that team. Um, but in general, like I, it, it's it's like those games. I think I've said it before too. It's like every other week you see this defense play so well as a team. Like nobody's really standing out. It they just every every couple plays like somebody's making a play. Somebody's doing something on third down, which has been the exact opposite of Packers defenses in the past where these third downs, you're just like, how are they going to get this third and 27? Like, what are they going to do here to get it? And like, it just seems like more and more continuity in this team. You talk about rallying, you talk about, you know, just like the way that they play together. None of them are, I mean, we have some stars, right? There are some stars on the team, but like, I think specifically in the back end, there's no stars back there except for Jair, but all those guys step up and make plays, which is like, it's, it's impressive. No, I think you're absolutely right, Todd. Like, you go down the box score, and, you know, Keyshawn Nixon, like, he had a couple of splash plays. He had a couple of deflected passes, played good coverage. He led the team in sacks along with Quay Walker. He had that play on that third down where he kind of was playing zone defense or spy or whatever, yes. and he just, you know, that was made huge. a beeline for Dak, got that sack. Like, I don't know if that was a spy play or if it was instincts. Really good to see regardless. Um Devondre Campbell had a sack, for God's sake. Lucas right. Van Ness had a sack. He had that – Lucas Van Ness also had that play where he chased down Dak on – I don't know if it was a third down, but a second down or something and, you know, held him to a gain of three where he was literally, like, behind him by five yards and had to close the gap. So that was impressive to see. Preston Smith, like we talked about, had a sack. Uh, we're not even – we haven't even talked about the, the man of the hour in the secondary, Darnell Savage, with the – you know, game-changing pick six before the half. So, you know, kind of everybody's stepping up and at all levels of the defense, which is good to see. Yeah, Kenny, I liked watching Kenny. He had that one play where he dropped back in coverage like B.J. Raji back in the NFC Championship game. You said it live. You're like, Kenny mm-hmm. in coverage. <laughs> and I I don't. I think it was a different play later on. Maybe it was that play because he tackled Dak and we're like, yeah, third down stop. But then you watch and he grabbed his fucking face mask and it's like, and then it goes back to like, ah, oh, maybe maybe this is more of a Mike Daniels play than a P.J. Raji play. <laughs> uh, T.J. Slayton, he had a personal foul where he threw that one cowboy. And I'm, I think I said to you guys, too, it's like, if you're going to get a personal foul, at least make it worth it. And we're he blowing him it. out. So he, fuck, he, did earn, he fucking threw that guy. And Kobe, he threw him. Kobe wouldn't, too. You know, we talk about just guys making little plays here. Again, it's like he makes one decent play per game. And he sniffed out a screen and tackled him for, or I don't even know if he finished the tackle. I think they did rule him down, but for like no gain. So that was nice to see too. Um, and yeah, Devondre Campbell before McDuffie got hurt, you know, he was, it seems like with him back, they were using Campbell in the clear passing situations and keeping McDuffie out there on early downs for run spots. So I don't know, hopefully McDuffie who got banged up will be good to go this next week, but he looked to be in quite a bit of pain when he, uh, Came out of the game. Um, Campbell also, he should have had that pick in the end zone, which I told yes. I had forgot about until I rewatched the game. I'm like, yeah, fuck, this could have been even worse. Um, Jair, you know, we had mentioned it, but that pick was huge. That's the type of shit. That's why you're the highest paid corner in the league. Just just do that. If you do that once a year, if you get a pick in the playoffs, it's like, cool. I get it. And that was not just like, I mean, Darnell, he jumped his, but like, 
Jair fucking worked for that one. It was, you know, a little touch and go there. It was a little physical, but it's like you got to let him go to the ball. He he did get hurt, which looked bad. He looked to be in a lot of pain too, but he was listed today, which they didn't practice. It's, uh, you know, they're kind of guessing. He was listed as limited, and he did speak after the game, so that is a good sign too that he should be good to go next week. But, yeah, other than that, do you guys have – Anything else on the defense? I mean, Darnell Savage, obviously the pick was cool, but we mentioned that it looked like Tremont against the Falcons. And then I liked Anthony Johnson Jr. too, who had that one hit from the safety spot where he jarred the ball loose on a possible reception, which we don't see from our safety group too often. Uh, I think it's worth noting too that um, it's PFF, but take it with a grain of salt. The uh, Savage was the highest rated player for PFF on defense. Really? Last week, yes. And at like number five or six, doing a lot pick of six heavy was lifting. that's a good plus play. Um, but then also to Jair, I think was like number five okay. um, on the list too. So fun to see the secondary like showing up. And granted, not everyone's playing this week. So if everyone was playing, you know, it'd be interesting to see where they fall on those grades. But I think I think Savage was like a ninety some grade, which is like very elite in PFF standards for a single game. LaFleur mentioned that Savage being back has been huge for this, not huge, but he said it's been a benefit to have him back there because he, and I know Ryan Downard last year said that Darnell Savage was the smartest guy in the secondary, but how much better the communication has been on the back end since he's oh, been interesting. back. So. The last three weeks, I'm not going to say have changed my opinion of Joe Barry, but I'm starting to build some confidence in this defense here would you keep joe barry no i i but not that much confidence but the minnesota game like you could easily write it off as well we're playing their fifth string quarterback like jesus christ who cares and then the bears like well we're playing justin fields who cares but this game in dallas against a team that hadn't lost at home in almost two years led the nfl in scoring was averaging whatever 37 points a game at home like I get that if you just look at the box score well they scored 32 they still got theirs but we talked about 16 of those came in garbage time when the game was well shut up what what I what I want (laughs) you look at the score and it's like you know us as fans look at the game and we're like it wasn't that close like if we're talking shit to like Viking Bears fans it's like oh my god we blew them out of the water that score wasn't close but it's like but if I'm talking to uh, Packer fans, or if I'm talking to Matt, I'm like, oh my god, did you see that? We gave up 32 points. You can't keep this guy around. So I don't. I <laughs> we'll talk about. But Joe in Barry. reality, everybody being up knows 48 that... to 16 against the Cowboys right. with 10 minutes left in the fourth right. quarter. The defense didn't make and, and the defense made two game changing plays that led to 13 points. Yeah, but it's one of those things too, where it's like. Are you going to let single plays by individual players? You know, I, I wonder too if Jair like gets the pick, and he runs it back, and I'm like, and he's like, "Fuck, Joe's going to be back now." But it's not like anyone actually thinks like that. Uh, special teams, good play from Jaden Reed getting that fair catch interference. That was interesting early. Uh, Andres doinked a point after, which <laughs> I mean is just expected at this point, yeah. and I'm sure it's been going on more this year, but. I didn't realize that he's lining up that far on the left hash on the extra or the point afters because he usually does push he it. He doinks it right every time. <laughs> we did allow that 45-yard return on Dallas's last possession in the first half, which they did get a touchdown on. So that, once again, was bad. And, Matt, I mean, it wasn't a close game, but 
that onside kick that went through Jaden Reed's legs and we still recovered. It's like, I, I don't need these visuals to remain in my brain when we keep moving on in the playoffs here. But uh, with that, anything else on this game? Uh, it, was, it was a pretty good game. I think we liked the game. Anything else? It was a very good game. I had a lot of fun. It didn't feel real. That was that mm-hmm. was the thing. Is it was like, yes, it just it was it was easy on the arteries. Yeah, you that's know? The, like it felt like most... I was getting some elasticity back in them. <laughs> that's the most calm that I've been during a Packers playoff game in yeah maybe ever. Maybe the Atlanta game in uh, 2010, but even that game like was close until halftime, until the Tremont <laughs> pick six. And then we went down and got a touchdown and third quarter and was like okay this game is over now i was gonna say you could almost say the 2016 falcons game too because like how this one the game never started true that yeah. one never started and shout out aaron ripkowski i believe with that one fumble that's when the game was really over when we were finally driving on the red zone and he dropped it but whatever still love aaron ripkowski but uh with that take news football time <laughs> Take news. All right, take news for the week. Let's see how this goes. So we got a couple clips. Yeah, I know we're you know we're all very optimistic. I obviously am. Everyone here is. But you know, we've been talking about the coaching staff. We've been talking about the improvement of the offense in the second half of the year. And I thought there's been some interesting quotes the last couple weeks from Matt LaFleur and even Adam Stenovich, the offensive coordinator. So starting things off. This was uh, what's today's Tuesday, so Monday, the Monday presser. Which, if there's if if you want to listen to one presser, it's usually the day after the game is the best one. Where after Matt looks at the film, he's usually pretty honest, and it's not dumb injury questions, which he just you know does not want to answer, never actually seems to. So, first clip here. This is you know once again talking about his coaching staff. I believe this is Jason Wildy talking about the change and i think we've talked about it in the past too but ever since the pittsburgh game one matt said you know no more excuses with the young team stuff blah 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 jordan's gotta let it rip we gotta stop holding them back you know we're gonna make some changes so here is wildy asking lafleur talking about you know the offense and this is mostly about the coaching staff and any type of mix-up that they had or the change-up that they did halfway through the season. Do you think you guys have hit a rhythm as a coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball? I mean, Nathaniel leaves, Luke leaves, and now you and Steno and everybody down the line. Do you guys feel like you've hit a rhythm as a group in terms of how you Absolutely. I think our just our in terms of our process, there was any time you have turnover, I think that this is why so many people um, appreciate continuity, especially in our game, is because there's a learning curve to everything you do. And it, as a staff, um, how you game plan, um, how it all, just how it all comes together is, is a process. I think, you know, there was a bigger adjustment than maybe we anticipated a while ago um, when we had a lot of turnover. Um, and I can't say enough about our offensive staff, led by Adam Stenovich, and but all the assistants and and their ability to contribute. So most of that, I you know sometimes there's just little bits that they say in these you know pressers that peak you know peak your interest. So he said, "This is why a lot of people value continuity, which actually means 
this is why I value continuity and I don't like moving on from coaches. You know, that's how I saw it. One of the things that he said there. The other thing was there was a bigger adjustment than what we anticipated when we had a lot of turnover. And then he brings up Nathaniel Hackett, Luke Getze. So it sounds like to me that halfway through the season, you know, shit wasn't going going right and they corrected it a bit. And it seems like within the building, you know, it, and it's just not Getze and Hackett. You know, it was Justin Outen, too, who was the tight end coach. You know, we've kept pretty much everyone out, but, you know, we moved up Luke Buckus to be the offensive line coach. So there's different responsibilities for a lot of different spots there. And it seems like it was, you know, <laughs> we saw what 2022 was like. And that passing offense, offense in general, wasn't very good. And then we saw what the first half of this year was like. So it's nice to see Matt, you know, one, admit that it took them longer than it should have probably to get the staff in the right spot. But, you know, once again, also saying that why he values continuity and why he doesn't really move on from coaches too much. But to follow up with that, something – and I had recorded this clip – uh, before Monday, too, from Steno last week, the offensive coordinator, because he was also asked by Jason Wilde about the offensive coaching staff and how they've kind of reworked themselves. So I thought this clip from Steno was very interesting as well. Did you sense a shift on your staff and just in terms of how you were looking at things? Of- yeah, after that game, um, we that was a big moment for us as an offensive staff and as an offense in general, just like, just like what Matt said, like enough's enough. It's time for you guys, like all of us to step up. And we, as a coaching staff, changed some things around as far as like how we approached our game day approach, um, our in week preparation, kind of peeled everything back and revamped things. And I think it's helped. Um, so it, as hard as that was, and, you know, it was pretty tough. I think at the end of the day, it's made us all better, and we've all stuck together, and it's we've come out the other end pretty in a pretty good spot. So, yeah, you know, you, you look at the team and you look at seasons and how they go and just the adversity that you're going to go through. Sometimes you go through more than others, and anytime you can stick together and then come out the other end, you know, going through some tough times, it, it really makes you such a strong group. And that's what we have right now is just every guy out there. I trust every guy out there, every coach out there. Um, it's just fun to be around. And they bring so much to the table and they play so hard for each other. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a special thing. we got a special offense for sure and a special team. I thought that was very interesting. Steno, I, he's a good guy to listen to too. Joe Barry never gives you anything. You know, he, he, his quotes are dog shit. Steno, sometimes he says things he shouldn't, you know, beginning of the year, he said Yash didn't compete during training camp, but then he got yelled at by Matt LaFleur. So I liked hearing some of this shit here. You know, the quote after that game, the Steelers game, you know, that was a big moment for us, the offensive staff. Enough is enough. Again, meaning enough of the excuses with us being young, blah, blah, blah. We have to start putting shit together. And he said that the coaches changed some things, revamped some things. And then he said, as hard as that was, and it was pretty tough, I think at the end of the day, it's made us a lot better. And we've come out of it together in a better spot, which when he's saying that it was pretty tough, it sound, uh, the way I'm taking it is they had like a team meeting and Matt was like, we have to make changes or we are going to lose our fucking jobs. And maybe he was saying, you guys are going to lose your jobs because I'm probably going to get to stick around. 
But either way, it's what and is this just, uh, you know, am I trying to push my own preconceived narratives before where I was saying the coaching staff wasn't doing very good? Perhaps. But it's interesting to hear these guys kind of admit some inefficiencies while in the middle of a playoff run. But it's cool because, I mean, we've been saying the same thing. How were we able to turn this shit around the way you have, and it's it is like that Disney movie shit where he said it's every season you r- run into adversity, and you stick together and make it out the other end. And this is a really special group, yada yada yada. I love everybody, but it's like that's the shit that seems to work. It is that Disney Matt Lafleur good guy magic. But I I don't know if there's anything to really add here, but I just wanted to touch on it because it's something that I've forced us to talk about most of the year. Do you think that when he talks about like the things changing and it was tough, you think it was just like a big party beforehand? Like they were doing like the Mike McCarthy massages prior to the game and like just maybe just a couple bumps, you know, look a couple couple fun drinks, maybe some cocktails before the game. Like maybe that was what's tough, right? I, I wouldn't doubt if they were a little more buddy buddy because as I mentioned before, and I actually have the clip saved that I was going to add in this too, you know, how Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams both said that Jason Vrabel wasn't a very good coach. And then today even Wildey said that Aaron Rodgers said that Jason Vrabel wasn't a good coach. Which I'm like, so that's those were three pretty prolific NFL players right there that didn't seem to believe with one of the guys. And I don't know if maybe they were kind of, I, I don't think they were fucking around, but a couple of years ago during one of the pressers, they asked about responsibilities. And it was like, you know, that's when it came out that Hackett was the red zone guy. They had like a third down guy. Yep, the red zone specialist, passing game specialist, all this. So it's like they had all those roles back in 2019, 2020, 2021. And now it seems like they maybe, I'm sure they'll talk about a lot this offseason, but I wonder if they re, if they move people around from roles that they had previously been given when Hackett and Getsy first moved on. Uh, Billy, do you have anything? I guess that's what I was going to say. Is it's interesting that you know you can almost pinpoint exactly where things turned around, and it makes me wonder, you know, what it was that changed internally because I remember at times for a few weeks earlier in this year, we were complaining that the offense number one in the first half was trash. Number two, like I think I was complaining about what even was our identity. It was like run, run, and then horizontal throw down the line of scrimmage on third and six and we get stuffed or something. It was a year and a half. A year and a half we didn't have an identity. 2022 had no identity the entire season. But there was, you know, early in the year, there was zero creativity. Like, there were no end-arounds, you know, and, you know, we, eh, we, we ran those. We had a couple of trick those... plays on third and fourth down that didn't work out too well. Sure, but it was like, okay, vanilla, sure vanilla, vanilla, <laughs> like extreme trick play. Like, we're going to yes, go, yes. you know, quarterback, <laughs> throwback, pass or something, right? Yep. But you wonder what changed. And I remember in Joe Barry's first year, like, the first, was it game and a half? We played Detroit at Lambeau in, like, the second game of the year. And the defense was just absolute garbage. And LaFleur had to go to Joe Barry and say, like, dude, just start fucking blitzing. And I think after that, like, Matt LaFleur was maybe a little bit more involved with the defense. And it makes me wonder if earlier in the year when we were having these issues, if and this is just me speculating, I don't know, but did LaFleur maybe take on a little bit more responsibility with the offense and the game planning? With the offense and the game planning or the defense and the game planning? 
Well, specifically this year with the offense. Sure. Okay. But in the past, the defense. Because moving on here, another clip, you know, it's a weekly thing. Are we going to keep Joe Barry? Because after the Panthers game, which if you remember, the Packers defense was bad. And after in that postgame presser and maybe even that Monday too, Matt said that he was going to have to get a little bit more involved with the defense. And since he said that, I mean, obviously the Vikings don't have a quarterback. The Bears don't have a quarterback. The Cowboys, they have Dak. Don't have a quarterback. (laughs) It's been a lot better. So I and some people, obviously everyone's a Joe Barry hater. I'll play this clip. So this was Matt on Monday uh, when asked by Bill Huber, uh, you know, his thoughts on Joe Barry and the improvement. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how Bill Huber phrased it, but you're, you'll hear it here in a second. You know, about a month ago, we're asking you a hundred questions about Joe and basically asking why you're keeping him. Um, what have you seen from him and the way that defense has bounced back the last three games of, I mean, I was talking about how much you played last night. Yeah, I, I could be happier. Um, just, I, I know what Joe Barry's all about and just in terms of the resiliency and, um, you know, there was, there's, there's tough moments, and there's tough moments in every season. I just I felt like I, kn- I know what we have in him and um, was confident that if anybody could kind of right the ship, so to speak, it was him. So how does that make you guys feel? What kind of read do you get off of Matt on that? Ick. I don't like it. I feel like they're friends. And you don't fire your friends. And Joe Barry's such a nice guy. Because <laughs> I hear that, and maybe it's just because I'm a loser and I listen to every fucking presser, but Matt's tone there isn't overly optimistic. You know, it, he does, it, he sounds negative. Like, he's, you know, what does he say? I couldn't be happier. He's not saying it. And like, you know, when he's talking about Jordan Love. I'm thrilled. Yeah. But, he's saying, I... I could not be happier. Yeah, pretty much. When he's talking about Jordan Love, you can hear the smile while he's talking. In that bit there, it's to me, it sounds like, you know, yeah, I couldn't be happier right now. You go through tough times, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I knew if someone was going to write the ship, it would be him. Because, yeah, who else was going to fucking do it, I guess, on that coaching staff? You know, and I still wanted someone else to try it out because of how bad we were. You know, those few games before this run we're on. But I still think, barring, you know, like if if we if we lose this week, I think Joe Barry's gone. I don't know. I don't know anything beyond that. we win two more games. I mean, if we go to the Super Bowl, I'm fine with Joe Barry coming back, I guess. Because, oh. I mean... That's the thing, you know, we're dumb. Fo- fine? You're fine. Well, I mean, look look at this week. You know, we're dumb idiots, and we, we do our own stupid research uh, in our free time and look at people who we want to be our defensive coordinator. Who did we want to be? Who's one of the names we want our defense coordinator? We didn't say, no, I know who you're thinking. Dan but Quinn? <laughs> we didn't, well, yeah, we did say yeah, that. we did say Dan Quinn. So it's one of those things, and I still think Joe Barry sucks. However... Maybe everyone sucks. I don't know. Maybe one. Uh, I don't want to say words. I don't want to say what I was going to start to say there. But Billy, is the game are our expectations too high for the defense because the game is so tilted in the offensive direction? Like when I was growing up, you know, it was the the two thousand Ravens, right? That didn't allow a touchdown in for six weeks or whatever. 
we're never ever gonna see a defense like that again. Like, do we or need, even do we need to change our expectations to like, oh, the defense gave up twenty four points, but well, maybe the offense needs to be scoring more than twenty four points. Like, it, it's hard to do that, but. Maybe our expectations are too high. I'm not saying that we need to keep Joe Barry because right. when I was listening to that clip, Spencer, my first thoughts were, well, what the hell else is he going to say? <laughs> right, exactly. That, like, that's of, what I'm of course too, he's yeah. going to say that, you know? So, because Joe Barry's such a nice guy, I'm never going to throw him under the bus. So, I don't know. I I feel like, though, you need a defensive coordinator that people have to game plan for. Like, if yes, you yes. want to have a championship football team, and I, do, I just I just don't... Are you game planning for Joe Barry? No. Like, I don't think you are. You're, you're just going, we just, need to, we just need to do our job. But what like about... Like, when you're that offense. So, so, to your point, like, who are the defensive coordinators that, you know, you think of that need to be game planned against? Like, Brian... I think they're more aggressive. Brian think, Flores for the Vikings sends a lot of blitzes. Wink Martindale, yep, yep. who got let go by the Giants, sends a lot of blitzes. Neither Todd team Bowles. had very good Yeah, like good a, a Todd Bowles, Todd, a Todd Todd, Bowles defense. Todd Bowles. Yeah, that's fair. He's also a head coach, so he can't really. Evero had a Evero had a nice defense last year. So it, but it, you know, it's back to. I still hope we move on from. I still want. It, it's back to just listening to Joe Barry and pressers. Like again, I I would listen to Mike Pettin, and I wanted him fired. You know that last year, but I'd learn about football listening to his pressers. I've learned nothing from Joe Barry's pressers. He says du- Jack Diddley in all of them. So it's just, Which is okay to be boring in your press conference. Absolutely, but there, you know, Matt's very boring a lot of the time too. But like this week, you know, you get the little insights, you know, and especially early in his coaching career, like that first training camp, he was letting it all fly. He said, "I learned a lot about football then, which I've since forgotten." But there's never been those moments with Joe Barry. Like he talks to the media like they're children. He's like, "Well, you know." We were going against CeeDee Lamb, and we had to, you know, we couldn't just cover him like a normal person, so we blah, blah, blah. And it's just, he just says the normal, like, the shit that I would repeat that's just, you know, casual garbage about NFL football is what he says in his presser. So it's just, I'd like something a little bit more than that. I feel like Joe Barry's defense is Mike McCarthy's offense yes. before he got <laughs> fired, where it's like... <laughs> You guys just have to go out there and be better than the guy in front of you. It's like, well, literally, maybe we could be a little bit creative. Like, maybe we could stymie the defense schematically instead of you just being like, no, you just have to cover them. Yes. Like, that's what it feels like. That was the perfect analogy. I think something else, too, is how many times have we seen Jordan Love now this year or Aaron Rodgers in the past, like, would see what the defense was trying to do? You know, they're disguising or whatever, but he is able with the hard count or whatever or motion to get them to tip their hand. I don't, it, it doesn't feel like offenses have to change their play a lot against green Bay. No, no it really, it no, really doesn't. It's a, that's a good point too. No, it's, I don't know. I, you know, the attacking defense, it all it comes down to with Joe Barry's defense is if the front guys can get pressure, that's all it ever is that and create, turnovers because that's, that's any defense to. moves if you right. rush for and get pressure exactly. right exactly and that's, and, and, that's what it is you know we talked about it last week too any defense looks great yes. when they force three turnovers every game mm-hmm. yes but that's mm-hmm. not sustainable or if you know you're brandon staley and you have aaron donald 
And it's like, oh, wow, this defense works when you have, you know, one of the best defensive linemen in NFL history. So That being said, let's also, you know, take a look at what's going on in Philadelphia. They fired their defensive coordinator midway through the year and then lost seven of their last eight games. Granted, part of that is hiring Matt Patricia, who should not have a job, but Still, that's the other side of making a move in the middle of the season. The the way the Eagles, it's like uh, there was a Freaky Friday halfway through the year with like dysfunction within the staff. Where like the Packers, I was getting worried halfway through the year, and then bam, it just it went to the Eagles. And now the Eagles, like they fucking sucked at the end of the year. Everyone wants their coach fired, and everyone hates the defensive coaching staff for them. But uh, whatever, uh, is Kyle an idiot? I'm not an idiot. Okay. You sure? Yes. All right. Is Kyle an idiot for the week? You guys have been great this year. I don't remember how last week went at all. Two and one. Okay. That's usually that's usually how it goes. Okay. First question. I. Ooh, this is a real stumper. What team did Aaron Rodgers assume was going to draft him? Going into the 2005 NFL Draft. The 49ers. Very good. Yes, it is the 49ers. Are these questions going to be as easy as last week's game? No, I just wanted to bring that up. That's kind of how these questions work. It's like things I kind of want to talk about. Did you ask that because we're playing the 49ers this week? I did, but also I brought it up because this is going to be the first time in fucking 15 years where we don't have to get the... Ooh, Aaron Rodgers has a oh, vendetta against point. the 49ers. Yes. I, we don't have to see him in the draft room. It would be so Or fun. in his four-year-old, you know, toy San yes, Francisco yes, 49ers uniform. Yeah. But it, it actually would be I would I would laugh. I would laugh aloud if they still like they have that like that B-roll. They're like, we got to play they it. Just, they throw it in there anyways during the pregame. S- somehow they're going to. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you it said on um, you said on Sunday, like, somehow, some way, they need to show a graphic of Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and Jordan Love every single game. Yes. doesn't even matter. Yes. It's like uh, what pissed me off last year was the Devontae Adams versus all the Packers receivers. That was fucking... Ugh. All right, number two. Very good. Very, very good, guys. Thanks. Mike McCarthy was coordinating the worst offense in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers, the year before he became the Packers head coach. Who are the three teams McCarthy coached for in the NFL before uh, joining the 49ers? Kansas City Kansas was one City of them. Kansas City is one. That's true. He was in Green Bay. That's true, too. For a time. Yep. One of Favre's quarterback coaches, I believe. I think the third mm. is New Orleans. Very good. Yes, I will cut you off before anything else happens. Yes, New Orleans. That is where he met Russ Ball. They were good buddies, and then... Oh, Russ, really? Russ Ball helped uh, McCarthy get hired in Green Bay, assumingly, and then that relationship soured, and Russ Ball, I think, was one of the reasons why Mike McCarthy got fired the night of the Cardinals game, because Mike didn't want him to be the GM, blah, 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 whatever drama. I hope it would be so cool if someday I could learn about all the inner workings of the front office and the Game of Thrones that's going to... I don't know. You guys have heard too much of that shit. Last one. Who dropped an interception on the final drive of the 2013 wildcard round matchup against the Niners, leading to a Packers loss? 2013? 
just trying to think was was it be sticky so it was after the obviously the uh fourth and eight it was the next week that was that bitterly cold playoff game against san francisco at lambo too sadly God, you guys don't remember who dropped the pick on the final drive? I, I remember that somebody dropped a pick, but I'm... Mm-hmm. You're halfway there. Who would have been on the team at that point? I mean, Sam Shields. Was Woodson still on the team? It was not Woodson, I'll tell you that. I think so. I think Morgan Burnett was on the team. still on the team. All right, I'm going to count down. Five. What do, what do you think, Todd? Four. Three. Two. I'm fine with Burnett or Steve. One. Let's go Burnett. It was the other safety, Micah Hyde. Micah Hyde dropped the pick. Oh, yes. It was a difficult play. Uh, The other question I was going to ask is who uh, fucked up their Lambo leap leading to the bad vibes in the fourth quarter and the Packers losing? That was John Kuhn, who... I was going to say it was I, a big boy. I thought it was Kuhn. Didn't he, like, slip on his ass or something? Yeah. No, he, he slipped on the warning track yes, thing. Yes. There was, like, some cameras there, like a tarp, and it, he tripped yeah. on a wire a little bit, jumped up, did not make it up all the way, and then he, like, awkwardly high-fives everyone there. It's like, oh, yeah. no. After after that happened, I was like, we are not winning this game, and sure enough, <laughs> we did not. Billy, do you have a stump spinny for me? This week I was going down memory lane a little bit to – Aaron Rodgers postseason debut because I mean Jordan Love this week one of the best postseason uh performances by any Packers quarterback I would say so you do have a stump spinning I do okay I'm, cool. I'm getting there I I, 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 I'm, I'm I always a have joke. a little story for you <laughs> uh so in Rodgers postseason debut it was that 51 45 barn burner that we lost in Arizona back in 2009 the Packers had two players go over 100 receiving yards in that game. Who were they? Jermichael Finley. That is correct, and I thought that would be the more difficult one. I mean, I have to just assume it's Greg Jennings as the other one. That is correct. Okay. Very well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I was a big Jermichael Finley fan back then because he was just a different-looking player than we had ever had and that came to you know a lot of people talk about the face yeah the yeah for those watching on the on, big the, fin. on the video yeah Todd doing the big fin celebration I didn't know what that was like the first year he was doing it, it it's so dumb I, I didn't like oh yeah weird because it's really really stupid well and then <laughs> then he started doing like the the y o t y yes, or whatever Yodo. year of the takeover. And then I remember but, Clay Matthews, remember he would do the one sack dance where he would like point to his wrist and then like point up to the sky. That was the lamest one. I don't remember that one. He did a, it was after the Predator celebration, or maybe it was before that. Probably before, yeah. Uh, what else was I going to add? Oh, people always talk about the face mask, you know, at the end of that game. Personally, I don't give a shit about that face mask because it was kind of after the play. Anyways, it, it had no bearing. On, well, this is going to sound hypocritical. He I, he was going to get sacked whether he grabbed the face mask or not. Yes, so I wasn't that upset when it happened because I'm like, we were fucked anyways. The play before that... Greg Jennings wide open. That, true, true. And maybe it was the play before that. Rodgers got rocked late, and there should have been a roughing the passer penalty. That's the one. I don't know if anyone else has ever thought about this. That's the one that I get pissed off about, but whatever. I, I remember that game like... You realized, and looking back to, like, especially with some of the guys we've trotted out at tight end, Richard Rogers, Andrew Corliss, um, studs, 
big dog, Tunyon. Um, Jermichael Finley was a dude. I mean, mm-hmm. he was, what, 6'6"? Six, six? And we used to just throw those end zone fades to him. Oh. And it was like, what What do you want to do? You want to throw a linebacker out there on him? He's going to outjump him. You want to put a safety out there? He's just going to bully him to death for position. Like, he was so good. He was fast. He was agile. He was An he asshole. was almost he was almost like Rob Gronkowski, yeah. only but but not as physical looking. Yeah, and, he and, was he was he more athletic. Block. He would not block. Right. He was a terrible blocker too. But yeah, he was. I mean, when I think to Jermichael Finley, I just think of him jumping up in the end zone and making the defender look like a child. Like that's what it just was with him. It was Remember him on the sidelines, they throw like a quick out to him and he just breaks tackle after tackle and stays mm-hmm. in bounds and scores that. And I think he's maybe he didn't score. I think he had a good one like that against the Niners of the same game that Driver had that uh long one too, but I don't know if there's no way we could ever find that out. But uh moving on. Something else almost as important. The Green Bay Packers are playing the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco on Saturday. Have we, I assume on our playoff, on the Super Bowl run, we played a Saturday game. I'm trying to think of playing, if we have had any Saturday games outside of that Cardinals loss, the Jeff Janis game, which I only remember hmm. that was a Saturday because I got hammered. <laughs> I can I don't remember certainly, sat, yeah. certainly find out here very quickly for you. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. So it uh, is, the divisional oh. round against Atlanta was on a Saturday night at 7-15, who is also the one seed that year. Oh, once again, saying. things keep happening. Uh, kickoff is at 7-15. It is a Fox game. So once again, we have Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. The Niners, I think it opened at 10 points, and now it's down to 9.5. The public is on the Packers. Last year, we were 7.5 favorites against the Cowboys. 9.5 this week, or not favorites, but underdogs. 9.5 this week. Over under is again set at 50.5, so we will see. The Niners are also 12-5, and five, like the Cowboys last week. And when the NFC West, they are the number one seed in the NFC, if you somehow forgot. Offense, I mean, fuck, I don't know if... The Niners are a good football team. They are second in points per game at 28.9. First in yards per game, 398. They are also the best red zone team in the NFL. They are they have the fourth highest yards per carry at 4.8. They have the best yards per pass at 8.9. They also run the ball the second most in the NFL, which uh, as this year's gone on or the last month or so, it's like, We've stopped thinking about the run defense, and this is kind of the thing that makes me worry. That it's like, oh, shit, that's right. That's still bad. Anyways, the 11th best yards per pass at 8.9 in the league. They also have the second highest completion percentage in the NFL. They do, however, throw the 20th or their 20th worst in throwing picks in the NFL. However, I believe that's just Brock Purdy in the one game where he had, what, the four or five? Four, yep. Yeah, pretty bad. Um, middle of the pack in pass blocking, but they do still have Trent Williams. Again, I mean, Purdy, he's having a fantastic year. He's going to get some MVP votes probably, which is crazy for a seventh-round draft pick in his second year. Uh, but, yeah, one of the most efficient passers in the NFL. He did finish his season with a 113 passer rating. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is good, over 14 yards rushing, uh, four, uh, 5.4 average, along with 564 more yards receiving. He had 21 total touchdowns. He is very good at football. 
Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, uh, and tight end George Kittle are the guys to really worry about in the passing game. All pro bowlers, I believe. Ayuk finished with 1,300 yards, Kittle 1,020. Debo only had 892, but he was banged up. And if you add his 225 rushing yards, he does go over 1,000 yards on the season. But again, I mean, I... I think Kyle Shanahan is the best coach in the NFL every single year. It doesn't matter who the fucking quarterback is. They are an efficient, smart offense. You know, even when, uh, you know, we played Nick Mullins a couple of weeks ago, right? With the Vikings and we play, he looked a little bit better, I guess, with saying, eh, maybe I'm wrong that Monday night game, Sunday night game a few years ago. He wasn't very good in that yeah, game. Yeah, no, and now I think of it, he wasn't very good in but that game. But they had a bunch of guys out due to COVID that game, That's too. true, but I, I think he had a decent run with the Niners at one point, whatever. On defense, they're a good defense. What do you know? Third in points per game at 17.5, seventh in yards per game at 303.9, fourth in run D, allowing 4.1 yards per carry, and fifth in yards per pass at 5.9, the seventh most sacks in the league, Seventh most forced turnovers in the league as well. Nick Bosa leads the way on defense, obviously being a complete all-star, one of the better defensive players in the league. But hey, you know, we said that about Parsons last week, so who really knows? Uh, Javon Hargrave, Shavarius Ch- uh, Ward, Fred Warner all made the Pro Bowl on their defense. Eric Armstead's there as well, along with Greenlaw. This team, guess how many Pro Bowlers they had if you count alternates? Uh, I'm going to say nine. I was going to say 11. 22. What? Holy shit. When I went through, I counted it was 22. Cause, so, Oren Burks is an alternate. Remember him? Oren Burks? What? I don't know. I couldn't. I wasn't going to keep digging. I don't know if it's for special teams or playing linebacker. But That's got to be what it but is. But people were saying he was playing well on defense anyways, unless that was last year too. I has he been he gone is, for two years? He has 46 tackles, a pick, a sack. <laughs> God. I can't believe Joe Barry wasn't able to get that anything out of him. Uh, along with that, too, uh, Tabor Pepper, their long snapper, was once in our training camp, too, uh, and he's a Pro yeah. Bowl alternate. So, once again, we just, we've had like three different Pro Bowl long snappers in the time that we haven't been able to find one. Whatever. In the building. Yes, in, yes. in the building. Um but yeah, that's the Niners. Again, our, I, we're not too binged up. Again, we didn't practice this week. A.J. Dillon in their you know pseudo practice this week did or today did not practice. Kingsley is not going to play with his torn ACL, I don't think. Elton Jenkins didn't practice, but he they usually rest him throughout the week. Aaron Jones is limited. He's definitely going to play. Isaiah McDuffie, that's going to be interesting to see along with, uh, I mean, Preston Smith didn't practice either, but whatever. So hopefully there's nothing big there. I kind of don't want A.G. Dillon to play, obviously, because I'm a terrible person. Isaiah McDuffie would be huge. I said this, I think, going into the 2021 game against the Niners, which is kind of funny to think about now or ironic. No, I'm thinking, uh, I, I was thinking Oren Burks, but it was Chris Barnes. I was like, this is the biggest game of Chris Barnes' career. And if Isaiah McDuffie is healthy... I think it's a huge, huge game for him. And someone else to throw out there would be Brenton Cox, who we can only assume is going to be suited up for this game. I don't think he has played the last half of the season. For those who don't remember, the kind of knucklehead from Florida, the outside linebacker, undrafted guy who's very talented, but uh, you know, was kicked off both Alabama and Georgia's football teams. He hasn't, I think he only has probably like, a handful of snaps this year, but he's going to be put into some type of role with only LVN, Preston, and Gary playing. But 
I don't know, getting a little bit too much in the weeds here. Todd, how are you feeling going into this game? I, <clears throat> what scares me is how efficient that offense is and just the fact that all Brock Purdy has to do is deal the rock. He doesn't have to be amazing to be amazing. Yeah. Like all he has to do is get the ball to those playmakers. And it kind of feels, feels like to me the way I imagine other teams look at us. It's like, who, who do we focus on here? You know, it's one thing when it's CD lamb has 19 million yards. Okay. Let's cover him. And even back when we had Devante, it's like, okay, put three guys on Devante. Then it seems like you can put together a game plan to stop that. It's not overly complicated. With these guys, it's like, who do you cover? McCaffrey, one in the run game, two out of the backfield. You got Kittle, you got Ayuk, you got Debo. It's like, what are you doing here? And then to top it all off, you've got Juszczyk, who can catch the ball in the back. The real superstar. Just one more wrinkle, the real, real superstar. It's just, that's what scares me the most. I mean, obviously that's what it is. Kyle Shanahan puts these offenses together. I mean, it's it's scary. We're going to have to be our best. That fourth quarter shit that happened last week absolutely cannot happen if we're going to win this game. Like their offense scares me. Their defense is good, right? Like but I have a lot of faith in our offense, I guess at this point. It's more like can we stop them? Can we make them inefficient? That's all we need to do. The thing is too that they use their guys on offense interchangeably. Like Debo will carry the ball, McCaffrey will carry the ball. McCaffrey is 550 yards receiving or whatever. Like they'll send all sorts of guys in motion, line them up in the backfield. Like it's so hard to get a beat on what they're trying to do offensively. And to your point, there's just so many different weapons. Like it's hard to focus on one guy. You want to take McCaffrey out of the game? Okay, here comes Debo kind of a thing. Um, Yeah, this is going to be, this is by far the best team that we've played all year. I mean, their offense is balanced and it's versatile their defense is stout it gets after the passer it forces turnovers uh pretty good against the run so it's definitely going to be a tough game I certainly feel better about our offense going against their defense than our defense going against our offense even with how well the defense has played the last three weeks I do think it's interesting the situation that we're in. It's like the situation that we were in in the past when we got stomped by the 49ers is like we had a bye. You know, we're feeling really good, but we come out rusty as hell. Brock Purdy hasn't played in three weeks. Right. They sat a bunch of starters in week 18. My old, like my thing is like, what if that is enough for him to come out and be rusty and lay a couple eggs in the first half and make it unsurmountable like that is what like that's what it feels like happened to us year after year going up against like when we lost to them that's what felt like happened is like we were rusty like you i almost hate having the buy it's like after those years of us having the buy and then just getting smacked in the divisional like it traumatized us it's horrible and i'm like i almost like this more like i love being the seventh seed first seventh seed to win a playoff game Let's do it. Like let, we have nothing to lose. Like this team's playing hot. We're going to play every week, right? We're not, True. we don't have a buy. Like, I don't know. Like that's, I'm hopeful that Brock Purdy comes out rusty as hell looking like that Baltimore game 
when he threw four picks. Well, like, or, or that not, would be huge. Not even that rusty, but just, you know, can their offensive line pick up our blitz packages? Can their defensive the line's line, good though. Do, does they, but you know, again, if they haven't played together in real game action in three weeks, like does their timing get off? You know, does their defense, are they a step slow? Are they, a, you know, a little bit uh, questioning their assignments or something because they haven't played together in a few weeks? Is Purdy a little rusty? Are the receivers in the game? I mean, CeeDee Lamb was trash in the game on Sunday. He he had a couple of drops that you don't expect. You know, are they just maybe a little not focused or up to game speed on Sunday? I, I mean, that was a similar thought to what I had. How many times have we seen the Packers or whoever else is a, a one seed uh, just come out flat in their first playoff game. I do think we caught the Cowboys off guard, but I don't feel like the Niners are taking this lightly. Yeah. And I mean, we did that uh, 2021 season beating them was pretty cool in San Francisco. Like that was probably the big win of that season during the regular season with Devontae getting that one big catch to get us in a field goal range as time expired, I believe. But I don't know. Again, it's back. Like you're saying, the optimism and the house money where we're coming in as the wild card team, you just feel a little bit better. The other thing to mention, and I wonder if this will be a narrative when we get closer to kickoff, but Matt and Kyle are not on good terms anymore. Cause, and I'm surprised it has been talked about more, but within Green Bay, like the beat reporters talk about it, no one outside of it does. Like Kyle Shanahan tried to steal Aaron Rodgers. That's how all that shit popped up during the 2021 draft is right before they traded up to take uh, Todd, your cousin. Fuck, what's his name again? Trey Lance. Trey. Cousin Trey. <laughs> yeah, your cousin Trey Lance. He's like, okay, well, before we do this, let me see if we can get Aaron Rodgers. And uh, there was some not so good stuff going on. And then obviously that spurred everything else that happened with the Packers that offseason. So I'm curious to see how, you know, if there's some icy handshakes after the game. You know, if if the Packers win, I'm sure it'll be night. Or, sorry, if the Niners win, I'm sure uh, LaFleur will go up and give them a nice handshake and look them in the eyes. But if, if we win, I, I bet we don't see that out of Kyle Shanahan. But uh, who knows? Uh, anything else before predictions here? Are we good to go? Predictions? Yeah. Okay. Todd, yeah, yeah. Todd, what is your score prediction for this game? I have a little bit less of a barn burner this week. I'm I'm thinking 26-24. Still think the Packers pull it out, but this is a this I think this is a way taller order than last week. So Billy Billy silence a, isn't good on podcast. I I'm, I'm going to go 27-20 San Francisco. Okay. Oh, oh. why why are, you, why are you doing this to us? You told oh, us. Oh, boo. You told Last week I got on you for not picking the Cowboys, and you're like, I I said I was going to pick the Packers. You really the think rest we're going to lose? You think that offense can lose? I think that defense can lose. <laughs> wow, well, that's not the question that <laughs> ah, I asked. Good rebuttal. <laughs> well, fuck. I I was hoping to be the only one. God damn. See, I I get into the whole. Oh, you're mad because you were going to pick us to lose. Yes, because I want there to only be one of us to pick us to lose, like last week when it was me, and then we won. So, okay, maybe, okay, I'll finagle this around. So I picked a score of 23 to 17, all right? And no, I was, you need oh, to pick a winner. Right, so whatever, 23-17, and I was going to say we're going to lose. I'm going to flip it, 
because I'll roll right into my bold prediction. That is the score from the 1998 uh, divisional round against the Niners in San Francisco, the the catch number two game where Terrell Owens caught the game-winning touchdown. Jerry and Rice, Jerry Rice fumbled. He definitely fumbled earlier in the game. So I, you know, and all the narratives going on and shit, you know, we were talking about before in the 90s, the Cowboys had our number early on, and then in like 95, 96, whatever, we finally beat them, and we've kind of owned them ever since. The Niners, they owned us, blah, blah, blah. We kind of, we finally beat them in the early 90s and then lost that 97 game, and they've kind of had our number since then for the most part. This is me picking us changing the tide, so I'm picking that same score. And my bold prediction is Dontavian Wicks is going to have a touchdown in this game, and he's going to lose a fumble in this game like Terrell Owens did back in 1998. So that is what I am rolling with. Todd, what is your bold prediction? Um, Tell me if this is bold enough, but I think the safeties, two safety picks. I'm not going to say who, but two safety picks. plenty bold. (laughs) <laughs> I think that that is the recipe to win the game. That is, I feel like that is the only way we win the game is if we force, I guess it could be force fumbles too, but I just see it as the picks are the, that's the, that's the path to victory turnovers. Yes. Billy. Uh, mine is a two parter kind of similar to your Spencer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say San Francisco defensively has zero sacks and Green Bay defensively has at least four sacks. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah, I like that one. That's uh that's a different one. Yeah. That uh the trenches, a trench boy with your bold prediction. Um so yeah, that's uh that's the game. Again, not too nervous. Uh corrections. I forgot to write down corrections. I'm sure we fucked some shit up last week, but I am going to bring up some questions. So this was from David. <laughs> Spotify, who, who uh, once again, on Spotify, you can ask us questions or whatever, and we'll try to answer them uh, the following week. So he said this, and this was, you know, going into the Cowboys game. He said, in the spirit of Hank, who used to be on the podcast, my uh, bold prediction is we get the camera capturing a sad, help, helpless, helmetless Dak sitting alone on the bench by the third quarter. And fuck, I I don't remember. We most certainly did. I think he nailed it. It definitely had to happen during that game. So shout out to David uh, for for calling that. A plus bold prediction. Hey, David, you got to say something again on Spotify just to keep the mojo rolling like uh, like we did last week. So with that, I don't have anything else. I don't want to really, you know, sit and stew on this. I just want to get on with the game. No negativity. Still house money, still a young team, still an explosive mm-hmm. offense, still Joe Barry. But it's a Super Bowl team right here. Don't forget that offense. That's a wicked offense. Can, can you imagine? Last thing. Can you imagine if we win and say Tampa wins and then we go to Tampa? If we if we lost to to Tampa and Tampa to lose the season, I'd be like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I would actually hate to go to Tampa. I would much rather go to Detroit. Would you rather would lose too. to Detroit, though? That would yes. be even worse, in my opinion. I would feel better about losing to, to no the, way to uh-uh. the Lions, who have uh-uh. so much magic going on. It's not like I, we have an actual rivalry with them. And Baker Mayfield is a little punk. You know, it, Tampa, they already had their Super Bowl a couple years ago. It's like Detroit has earned something. Like, they've been a competent franchise the last few years. Y- you, what? You don't like no, the Lions? I, no, I, I don't care. I, division team, I, I cannot accept losing to a division team. I mean, d- don't get me wrong. I hate 
Detroit or not Detroit, Chicago and exactly. Minnesota a hell of a lot more. And I might have gotten more enjoyment out of beating the Cowboys on Sunday than I have in a long time beating mm-hmm. Minnesota or Chicago. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be able to stomach losing to Detroit on their way to their very first Super Bowl appearance. I just, it, I don't, it, I don't like it. Detroit, Detroit is in that space right now where like this happens to all teams that are like up and coming yeah. where it's like, they've been bad. They've been absolute garbage for so long. Everybody feels bad for them. It's like, Oh, like they're like a cute puppy. So is, all of Sh- sudden, is Chicago going to be in that uh, realm for you? In no, the next they're five always trash, years? always trash. Complete, hate them forever. Different. Same with the Vikings. Um, but it's like that's this is what happens with like those teams. It's like remember when the Seahawks all of a sudden started to be good and they changed their uniforms. People were Ugh. like all of a sudden Seahawks fans. Yeah. It's like and then all of a sudden it's like no dude. No, I, I never liked Russell Wilson. I don't I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, with, <laughs> with with the Lions, it's just like I'd be fine with them winning it, whatever. But then immediately after that, it's like okay, never again. Then I hate you forever. But it like. Give them, what do they have? I'd rather see them go lose. That would be so. The so Vikings funny. have never won a Super Bowl. You'd be okay with the Vikings winning no. a Super Bowl, but w- there's never been a heated rivalry with the fucking Lions. They didn't win in Lambeau for over 20 years. You know, it's just they're they're less than a little brother. They're a little fucking step nephew that I don't give a shit about. Yeah. Oh, fucking Jimmy won. Doesn't mean I like, want him to win. Who do you want? They're like is a Tampa, dumb neighbor. Is Tampa better? Who who do you want to win if it's not us right now? Because right now, if it's not us, I'd somebody in the us. AFC. I don't care. Somebody in the AFC. The Ravens. The Bills. The, the Chiefs. Ravens, the Ravens. Harbaugh. Absolutely. No the problems Chiefs, with any of You want the Chiefs to win a, what, third Super Bowl? Fourth Super Bowl for Mahomes? Over, over fucking Detroit? Absolutely. I, I think Detroit's like the neighbor that like falls off his ladder all the time yes. and like yeah. staples his hand with the stapler. Yes. And then like one year you're like, oh, look, he got the Christmas lights up <laughs> and he's not in the hospital. Like this is nice job. I'd much rather have Detroit have one than fucking Patrick Mahomes. I, I still don't know if it's, but it doesn't matter because the Packers are going exactly. to the Super Bowl. So, so the lions aren't and Tampa Bay's not, and it doesn't freaking matter who's in the AFC. And with that, I don't have anything else. Do you guys have anything else for the love of God? Hopefully not. Go pack. Go pack. Go. So Eric Koskinen, please. Don't sue us. Opening. We should add some new segments. Let's add a new one. Okay, what should see, be? I say that every year, and yeah, this would definitely be the time to do it when it's potentially the last 
episode. No, no, Off-season gonna, is the time to do it. We're going to have a recap Potentially episode the last of this episode. game. We're going to have more. We're going to have a Pro Bowl episode. We're going to have a mm-hmm. Super Bowl episode. We're going to have a post-Super Bowl episode. We're um, going to have at least six draft episodes. Live I, from touching the trophy at Lambeau Field. <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.